could read it again, but it's uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and it's made alive in Christ. So it talks about what we were before we were saved and what Christ brought us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, Brother Ted, for reading that scripture. We had someone visit our church a couple weeks ago, and the children can be dismissed if they are ready. Um, who listen to one of our sermons online, and, and the recording starts as long as we get the slide right with the scripture reading, unless I have an introduction first. And, and their, their comment to me was, do you have Morgan Freeman come to read your scripture every Sunday morning? <laughs> They're very impressed with um, just the intonations and the sound of your voice, Ted. So thank you, brother, for reading that, and we'll, we'll, we'll count ourselves blessed to have uh, a good brother with us today. Well, we're back in our series on discovering our true identity in Christ. It's been, seems like forever since we've been in this, uh, between vacation and a guest speaker and Easter. I've been longing to get back into this because I think it's so important for us to uh, learn together, to rediscover together, to grow on our understanding of who we are in Jesus. Because we hear a lot of messages from the world around us about who we are. Uh, seldom is it anything good about ourselves or the church, or of Jesus. We need to be reminded what the Bible says about this place in our life. And so this morning, I want to remind you that the Bible has long been known, the gospel has long been known as good news. Aren't you excited when you hear good news? I don't know how often you get excited, because if you watch the television on most channels, there's not a lot of good news shared. I um, must be a testament to where we are as a culture, but I can't do it most of the time. I just, I, there's enough of that around. I want to hear good news. And so you have, hopefully in your hands or nearby or in front of you, the good news of the gospel. And these are just a few of the things that Paul is telling us in this passage about God and about ourselves. He says, you were dead in your sins, but God has made you alive in Christ. You were captive to the prince of the power of the air and enslaved to the curse of this world. But God has raised us with Christ to make us sit with him in the heavenly places. And one of these days, we're going to know what that means. 
Because I don't know how many of you have been sitting in heavenly places, but there's more to that that we can talk about in the days to come. We were, the passage says, children of wrath and deserving of an eternity in the torments of hell. But God, instead of pouring out his wrath to us, will spend eternity showing the immeasurable riches of his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And friends, all of that is good news. It is the gospel for you and I that in spite of our situation, the way we came into the world, God has decided to do something about our condition. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of combine the themes of these verses in this way. I'm going to take verse 3 and I'm going to combine it with verse 7. And we're going to talk about how we were children of wrath, objects of wrath, Paul stated, but God promises something very different. There's a contrast in who we are and who God is and the change that he makes that should be, should be reforming our identity of ourselves. It's important for us to work through that. The other thing we're going to do, we're going to take verse 2, where it talks about being enslaved to a different kind of life. Alongside verse 6, where it talks about God freeing us. Aren't you glad that you can live a life of freedom that only God could provide? And in verse 1, over against verse 5 and 6, where he talks about us being dead in our sins. That sounds bad, doesn't it? I did a funeral last week, and when you're dead, it's done. But yet God said, I'm not done with you. And he brings new life. And we're going to look at those things together. So there's three themes we're going to see in this passage. And it is a contrast in our circumstances and in who God is. And if I could have done, found a way to do this and on, the, on the images that you see, I would have written the big word grace over everything. Because all of this that Paul talks about, everything that we're going to share today, is not because of how smart you become about the scriptures. It's not about how many verses you can memorize or how many days in a row you go to church or how much you put in the offering plate. Paul says, despite everything, you're still a sinner, dead, lost, a child of wrath, but God, through grace, can do something very different for you. And I was thinking this week, most of us were here last Sunday. We had a gentleman share who is um, president of a business right next door to us, and he talked about how he had been struggled for really for decades with drugs. Just kind of the seesaw of, of doing well and doing poor and then doing well and doing poor. And then at some point, God reoriented his heart and he now is freed. And it's exciting and it's exhilarating to hear God bring deliverance to someone who, who struggled like that. But I haven't talked with all of you, but I don't know that a lot of you have struggled through your life with drug addiction. I know many of you, how many of you were involved in a gang where you were committing violence? Uh, a lot of us grew up in good homes, were good people, and we forget sometimes that our identity as Christians is that we're delivered from something. I read this week that the Bible is the greatest rescue story the world has ever heard. But part of a rescue story is the understanding that you need to be rescued. And so our identity as disciples of Jesus was, as he came to them and invited them to a new area of life, he comes to us and invites us into his rescuing grace. And we're going to talk about that this morning. One of the first things we see in contrasting is God's kindness will be on your screen in place of God's wrath. The end of verse 3, it says, we were by nature. This means we were born 
because of our sinful nature, deserving of God's wrath. We came into this world kicking and screaming, yes, but there's nothing we could do about that, just like there's nothing we could do about the sin nature we were born with. Rebellious against God and God's law, we were by our nature subject to God's wrath. And the Bible is really clear on this, and, and this, uh, this probably won't ever make a TV miniseries on the goodness of Jesus when you start talking about his wrath. It's just not popular. In fact, I get concerned in the church today because we're told that you need to talk about love and you need to talk about how good God is. And, and I was like, well, if you can't contrast it with something, then it just is fluff. In fact, if you look at the teachings of Jesus, one of his favorite subjects, do you want to know what it is? It's hell. Well, I got a big amen out of that one. It was one of his favorite, not because he loved talking about it. It's because he wanted us to know that we needed to be rescued. How many of you love a great campfire or a wood, in the wintertime, a, a fire in your hearth or your wood stove? There's, I can't think of too many things I love more than to have a nice fire going on a cold day. Fire can be a good thing. It can be a great thing. It can also be damaging things. You know, I read an article yesterday that they're already warning us we're going to have a really bad fire season. After what, four days of no rain and we're already in danger or we're doomed? I was like, I was walking through the backyard last night. It still squishes like a sponge, but fires are coming. I didn't like that. I was like, let, let me enjoy this a few days of sun without worrying about all of that and it seems like our culture doesn't want any warning. It doesn't want any message of impending danger. Just let us enjoy today. Let us live in the moment. Let us determine our own happiness. But over and over again, Jesus reminded us of the danger of forgetting what's coming. I'm gonna read you four, four verses. These are Jesus' own words. He warned the church to most vividly make sure that you cut off your sinning hand rather than to go into hell with two sinning hands. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, he said in Matthew 13, 42, that evildoers will be thrown into a furnace of fire if they're unrepentant. Matthew 25, he said the goats on his left hand will go into eternal punishment. Uh, I don't know how you determine who you are a goat or not. I guess you just follow Jesus and don't worry about it. He said in Matthew chapter 8, for those who are outside of grace, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Hebrews, it's appointed man wants to die, and then comes the judgment. Now, I don't think Jesus wanted to be known as a hellfire and brimstone preacher to you. I don't think I've ever heard him described as that, but I'll tell you what he did do. He told the truth. He was not afraid to tell the truth. Remember, growing up, I spent a lot of time at my Aunt Susie's house. My dad worked during the summer, and and. During the time where my dad had custody, I was at Aunt Susie's every day on the weekend, during the week, during the summer, and, and uh, I didn't have any brothers, and she had three sons, so we were like brothers all the time. I had to be at her house than anywhere else during that time of my life, and I can remember uh, during the winter months, they had a, this massive, biggest indoor wood stove I think I've ever seen in someone's home. And it was, there was a massive wood box there. They always kept full. In fact, the, the family would go on wood cutting trips just to stock them up. Um, and so there was this massive wood stove in her living room. Now, I was over there with my two younger sisters. So there's three of us from my family there. She's got seven kids. 
So there's already 10 if none of the other cousins come around. And in our family, when some of the cousins come around, all the cousins come around. And so there's usually a dozen or so kids in a fairly small house with this massive stove. And, and can I tell you that my loving aunt didn't come to us and say, now, Peter, I just want you to be really careful. I love you. Please don't touch the stove. She had seven kids of her own. There's no way anyone would survive seven kids without being a little scary, don't you think? Get away from the stove, right? I warned you what will happen if you touch that stove. And it bothers me that we live in a culture today where we have to be so loving that we're afraid to tell the truth. I hope you're not afraid to tell the truth. You might just save somebody from eternal damnation. My aunt wasn't afraid to tell us the truth of what would happen. I just want you kiddos to know now that you need to, you know, that thing was so hot when it was blazing that for me to the front pew was about as close as I really ever came to, wanted to come to it. And the closer you got, the hotter it got. And she would say, stay away from that thing, you know, goof off in a different room if you're going to get rowdy, which happened all the time. You know, if you want to play your Monopoly game, just kind of take it off to the side. Our Monopoly games lasted for a week. There were so many of us, it was a blast. But she's like, stay, you know, stay away. And for the most part, we did. But my loving aunt sometimes would say, get away from there. Warning, danger approaching. And that's what Jesus is doing in the Bible. Warning, your lifestyle is going to lead in a bad direction, and you're going to spend forever regretting it. It saddens me we live in a culture that we're afraid to say that. We take a deep breath and say, I want to put myself in this place. Jesus didn't mince words. He just didn't. He called it the way it was. If there's something in your life that is wrong, get it right. If there's no grace belonging in your heart, then get it in its fullness. So we knew the dangers. There was, there was enough love in that house to warn us what would happen if we touched that stove. Uh, my sister, Jenny, uh, well, the fact that I'm mentioning her name right after saying that, you know what's coming, right? She still doesn't know to this day, I think she was three or four years old, what, what drew her to the stove. But with that, before we even knew it one day, she had come to this raging inferno of heat and placed both of her hands down on that stove. And I can still remember the smell I can still remember the shrieks not only of that day, but of the nights and the weeks to follow as those burns healed. And can I tell you that my aunt would have done anything and said it any way that she could say it in order to have kept that from happening. And as Christians in our world today, we should be willing with love, with redeeming grace in mind, be willing to say whatever we need to say to warn people of the danger of sin. Our world doesn't want to hear it, but I'm grateful that I had a healthy fear of that stove. And we need to have a healthy fear of the things in our life that might take us away. If we don't have a healthy fear, then how can we be freed from what we feel safe in? If we don't have a healthy fear of what's wrong and what's evil, then how will we ever be rescued? And I wonder sometimes as we struggle with our identity as believers, is it because we've just kind of walked through life in the same plane, the same do good, be good, slap each other on the back kind of attitude, and there's been no radical change of deliverance because we're a good person. 
And that's just not what the Bible says. Reading the Bible is probably initially not the best self-esteem building thing you could do. But God has redeeming purposes in mind. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to turn the corner right here. and We're going to talk about that. So he says that you're born doomed. You're born children of wrath. You're born in your sins and you need to see it and sense it and feel the danger, feel the heat in order that you might turn to the one who could deliver you. So in the middle of that reality for us, God does not just say, ah, you're on your own. This is what the Bible says. But God in the coming ages will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I want to read that again. Listen closely. In the coming ages, God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. Well, it sounded pretty bad a couple minutes ago, didn't it? But now the eternal God of the heavens is going to spend eternity showing you his riches and his kindness through Jesus. Now we're getting somewhere. Now the page is turning. Now there's something to live for. Now there's something exciting to be a part of. And Paul piles up the words of meaning and emotion to help us to realize that we can be trapped, yet we can be freed. We can be bound, but we can be released. We can be stuck, and then we can be loosed for God, and he can do something in us and through us that we would have never imagined on our own. I love that phrase in that passage, God's kindness towards us. Now, I just got done sharing the Bible's view of you before sin, but God's so loving, he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants a total change in heart and life, and he's going to spend eternity showing you the benefits of following him. I looked online this morning before I walked out of the office. How many of you that know the name of Jeff Bezos, if I said it right? Founder of Amazon, right, or president of Amazon, and his net worth as of the last stock exchange analyzation was $161 billion, more money than any of us could hardly ever imagine. I also know he's in the middle of the divorce, so that's going to get cut in half really quick <laughs> or something like that. But I want you to imagine this morning that, or tomorrow morning that you went to your mailbox and you opened up your mail and there's really fancy envelope and, and it was from Mr. Jeff Bezos. And in that letter, he, he has written to you and said, I just want you to know that I'm gonna promise on the name of my son that I will spend the rest of my life giving you of my riches. I'm gonna be kind to you. I'm gonna be a blessing to you. Um, and you're already thinking about what time the mail comes tomorrow, Right? <laughs> Probably not. But imagine that was the case, and that was written to you, and his, he was bound to show you his kindness for as long as you live. That'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Pretty rich guy. You could go on vacation wherever you wanted to go, build any kind of house you wanted to build. Um, but then one day, either he dies or you die, and it's over. Much of our culture, we're so focused on the here and now that we forget about the hereafter. And the fact of the matter is, even though $161 billion sounds like a lot of money, that's like a grain in the sand of the Sahara Desert of God's grace, amen? That's like a drop in the bucket of what God can do in our life. And you're thinking, Pastor, I could use a couple drops right now no matter what else. <laughs> we'll leave that up to God to decide. 
but it says he will spend eternity showing his immeasurable riches and kindness to us through Jesus Christ. I'm not sure that you and I can fully comprehend that, but I want to, don't you? I know that we live in a world that brings hurt. We've walked it some together. When things go wrong, when people get sick, when you say goodbye, when a job goes away, when you have unknowns about the future, when you struggle with something, it's painful and it hurts and it, it feels like it can encapsulate your entire vision. But Paul says, you know what? Eventually you're gonna run out of ideas with Mr. Bezos and he's gonna run out of money. But the fact of the matter is God will never run out of ideas to show kindness to you. God's never gonna go to bed at night on you and say, oh, you're gonna have to wait until tomorrow. I got an important meeting next week, so you know, I'll put you on the calendar from three weeks from now. It says the Bible that God is a very present help in the time of trouble. That basically means that you've got God on pager, and any time you wanna talk to him, he's there. I was reading an article this week about someone was asking a question about how do you talk to God? Uh, really wanted to know a new believer who was really struggling. And so the guy was like, well, do you have any kids? He's like, well, yeah, I've got a daughter. And uh, I was like, all right, well, let's talk about that. You know, um, does your daughter like to talk to you? Of course she does. Well, what does she do? Well, she just says, hey, daddy, and then starts asking a question. And it's like, well, that's pretty much how it works with God. You just talk to him like a father and say, hey, daddy, I need this. I need something. I need to talk to you. I need to feel you close and you can And Paul says, we were born as children of wrath, but when God changes who we are, we have an eternity of God's kindness and immeasurable riches through Jesus Christ. Immeasurable eternal riches is part of our identity. It's a part of who we are in Jesus. Let's not forget that. Let's not miss that. Let's not struggle so hard in the middle of the tough times of our life where we don't say, hey, God, Remember what you said in Ephesians chapter two, I could use some of that right now. Would you come close? Could you touch me? Could you be with me? Could you say some to me? Could you just deliver me in this moment? We need to remember who we are, the kind of God that we have who has kindness beyond our wildest imaginations. We've kind of inferred number two as a part of number one, but Paul talks about it later in this passage is that we are brought out of captivity into freedom. We are brought out of captivity into freedom. And he talks about this bondage to, and in a sense summarizes spiritual darkness, this realm of evil wickedness. And I think that you and I could turn on the TV and see it on most of our programs. We can sense it in our culture. You can sense it walking down the street. You can sense it going to the grocery store. There's just this air of spiritual darkness that seems to be in so many places, even in our own homes of the family members that we love. And Paul says that we may not even realize that we're under this kind of bondage, but God wants to bring us freedom in the middle of that place. Paul talks about being alien to a captive power, but God raises us up to make us sit with him in the heavenly places. So it's like a change of location, at least in our own spirit. A change of location in our own spirit. So it means that one day we're here and another day we're somewhere else. Now, before I knew I was moving from Ohio to Vancouver, which we did getting close to almost four years ago now, that's hard to believe, time 
goes so fast. I heard a song on the radio, um, and you can Google it. I thought about playing it for you, but I, uh, I, I was disciplined and I didn't. But you can, you can YouTube, I left my heart in Oregon. And during some of the years I was in college and in Ohio, there was a part of me that knew that I was right where I wanted to be, and yet a part of me, have you ever moved away from home? There's always a part of you that is home. Rebecca and I were talking yesterday or the day before, and she said, Ohio will always be a part of me. It will always be my home. And there's something for anyone who has memories and value in a place, and then you've moved away that still is a part of who you are. And I can remember hearing this song, and and it just was like, man, that's my song. And then here we are back in the Northwest, and God has a way of, of doing things. But when Jesus brings us from our sins into the current reality, there's this danger that we have of, of we think we have left our heart back there somewhere. And that's the pull of the enemy to try, and I'm bringing this in a negative way now, that when he delivers us, when he frees us from that bondage, there shouldn't be anything in our heart that says, oh, I left my heart in the drugs. Or I left my heart in the alcohol. I left my heart in, in the sex. I left my heart in whatever it is. God frees us. He delivers us. It's a change in location. It's a change in reality. It's a change in who we are. And Colossians 3, 3 says it this way, for you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's some serious stuff right there going on in the heart of the disciple of Jesus. There's a deliverance that just changes everything of who we are. I read a quote this week. I'm just going to read it because I can't really say it any other way. He says, don't you really long to be freed from the spirit of this age, talking about the, the culture we live in, where truth isn't even allowed anymore? Preaching the truth is now called being hateful. Just because you don't agree with someone's lifestyle, now we're called hate mongers. I'm tired of it. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be bound by the spirit of this age. Do you? Don't you really want to be free from the spirit of this age? Why would anyone want to be a jellyfish carried around by the currents of the sea of our secular world? You can be a dolphin to swim against the currents and against the tide. Jellyfish aren't free, dolphins are. We're made to be spiritual dolphins in our world today where we're freed from the culture of our, of our society so that we can live a life of faithfulness to God and to God alone. There's a deliverance from the bondage of the culture and the nature with which we are born. I'm getting worked up today. Third and lastly this morning, there is life in the place of death. All these things are interrelated because they're so connected together. And this one is going to be shorter just because of how long we've gone with the others. But it says that there's life in the place of death. Verse 1 said that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Have you ever felt dead? Spiritually dead? A number of times in your life where you're just like, I, yeah, I got nothing. I remember that time. We may be captives to our own spiritual tombs, not even realizing it, or even more dangerous, we've gone outside and we've whitewashed them so they look good on the outside. We feel good about how we look and others will go, oh, they're good, they're okay. Well, the own reality of our heart has been unchanged. 
One pastor wrote, and it was anonymous, I don't have his name. He said, God, when he walked by my open grave, instead of turning away from the stench, he said to his son, I want that mess alive. Will you go die for him or her? And Jesus said, yes. And that's how you and I receive Christ, because of God's grace for you and I. We have the promise of life today. True love is telling the truth. True love is doing whatever it takes to bring freedom to the captive. True love is being willing to go as far as one has to go in order to give someone what they need in order to be truly happy and joyful. And so the truth that I want to share to you today, and I wish our culture could hear loud and clear, is the truth about God is that he is more loving than anyone can fully comprehend. Amen? The truth about God is that his standards are there to keep us from the fire, right? His standards are there to keep us free and protected and pure and living a life of, that will bring glory and honor to his name. So the truth of the matter is you will find no greater love than in the arms of the one who showed his greatest love by dying on the cross for our sins. Paul is saying in this passage, once we were dead to our sins, but God has made us alive. Once we were captives of Satan and his forces, but God has made us free. Once we were children of wrath, but God has promised to spend eternity unwrapping the riches of his grace and kindness to us through Jesus our Lord. And I think we need to sing a song. I don't know about you. We need to sing. Get up here and get ready. I think we're singing about the Christ, the solid rock, aren't we?